0: came over yesterday we are watching frozen again for like the probably 50th time already
1: which one demands to watch it the older or the younger of uh, your daughters both
0: well, oh both- so right so sophia can actually say what she wants to watch whereas charlotte just if she sees it she'll point at it like you know when you turn the xbox on you see the tiles right. if she sees the tile for it she just starts like Slamming the TV. <laughs> so we're watching it yesterday. Like I said, for the some multiple time. Right. And and we were having everyone over from Mother's Day. And you came over. And so we're talking about it a little bit. And I've got some real issues with Frozen. And I'll say first and foremost, I think my biggest issue with it is just the popularity of it. None of these things would bother me so much if this movie was not so popular. And probably if I hadn't seen it so many times already. But the fact that this movie is as huge as it is, I feel like nobody is, you know what I mean? It just is like when you hear somebody talk about Frozen, they're talking about it like it is the greatest movie of all time, right? Um, Have you ever met somebody that was like, Frozen? Oh, yeah, that's okay. Me? Yeah. Oh, that's what you think of it? Yeah, that's... But have you met anybody that thinks that? Um, Or do they all think this is the greatest? These songs are great. These jokes are great. Right? Everyone is like gushing about this.
1: Well, I guess what got me interested in... And I haven't heard your full thoughts on this. I guess what got me interested was I don't really talk to many people who have thoughts on Frozen. And so I feel like... (laughs) I'm talking to somebody who ha- who has kind of like Stockholm syndrome. You've just been surrounded by this and and you just seem like you had to get some stuff off your chest. So yeah. I can't really speak to what people that I've talked I honestly can't remember the last conversation I had about frozen, but seeing you <laughs> have say that you have huge issues and problems, I want to hear them.
0: Well, so I just made a quick sort of list of things that hopefully I can suss out a little bit as I'm talking about it. But I feel like to get the full experience, we would have to do, like, a, a commentary. A
1: commentary? Right? Ooh.
0: But with that being said, I've never actually seen the movie from start to finish in one sitting. I've always... I Because I can't stand to watch it. And I'm also, like, when you put it on for your kids... You're putting it on so like you can go clean or make dinner or do something else. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm going to sit down and watch Frozen with my daughters, at least for the, like I said, 50th time. So I've now I do think I've seen all of the movie. I just have haven't seen it sequentially
1: right i feel like all your little provisos are really taking away from the <laughs> meat of your argument and i feel like you can't say that you've seen it 50 times right i think you have No, to my say, daughters have i'm not saying that exactly you have to say that you've seen it for the first time 50 times i i would say i've
0: seen every minute of frozen they not, might, not,
1: not necessarily
0: sequentially, not necessarily from start to finish. So
1: basically it took you 50 times to watch it once. <laughs> maybe. That's the, maybe. Uh, that's the, maybe. the proper way but of viewing it. But my last proviso
0: will be that none of that should take away for how much I hate this movie. Uh, okay. Okay. So the, my first issue is... The title. Well, let's just talk about this one song. We have so many issues with this one song. There's a song about... Maybe this isn't the same song. There's a song. Yeah, there's a song that Anna starts singing. And the very first line is something about all my life. I've had doors shut in my face,
1: slammed, slammed
0: in my face. Mm -hmm. This is a princess, like literally a person that people in her town, village, whatever, worship. And she starts she opens the song by singing about how many opportunities she's lost out on. Like there are you, you pay people to like clean your shoes. And you're singing about how you're losing out on opportunities. That seems very uh, insensitive, I guess. It just seems like very bratty, right? It seems very conceited to me. So that really bothers me. I just think that that is very immature of her to to be singing. I don't think it's a good message either. Right, like I'm also viewing this as like my two-year-old and one-year-old are watching this movie. What message are they going to take away from, it? if any? Because they're two and Princesses one. Princes have it tough. Exactly, exactly. Princes have it tough. That's what my daughters are going to think, which is absolutely insane. Okay, so I think it's that same song where she is singing with the prince that is charming her. Right. Okay. Love is an open door. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a different
1: one then. I think that's the same song. Love is an open door. Right. Okay.
0: So, my biggest problem with that song is that she's the the song doesn't work after the movie is over, right? Because you find out that this guy is a bad guy, right? Yeah. He's basically a sociopath, right? Who's been lying through not just lying, but like manipulating, completely hiding his feelings. Throughout the entire movie. And I'll get to why I think that's so terrible. I'll make that my closing argument. Yeah. But that that really bothers me.
1: Because I like that, actually.
0: Do you really? Yeah. But that, to me, is like... It's the equivalent of, of Jasmine and Jafar having a duet. Right?
1: Well, well, no, because I think what they're doing is they're setting up the fact that they are rushing into this feeling and it's not real. Like... In a traditional story, they would meet cute and then fall in love, and it would be a beautiful story. But what Frozen is doing, it's subverting it, and it's saying, these two people, it's like Romeo and Juliet, right? Romeo and Juliet, you can make the case, were just really in lust, not in love, and they're forcing
0: You, You can't make that case for Frozen because the prince is not rushing in love. He's has a calculated plan to do this and kill the sisters so he can become the king or exactly. whatever it is.
1: He's playing a part.
0: But that's not like a that's not like a lover's misfortune or like a kid's rushing into thing. That is a that is a psychotic
1: act. Right. And that, that's Anna rushing into it. And even right afterwards, people are like, Anna, you need to slow down. I don't I think you're rushing into things too quickly. It's a theme in the film.
0: Sure. a a film that is made for five-year-olds mind you. Okay.
1: But you are bringing adult concerns to it.
0: I'm bringing my adult concerns for (laughs) five-year-olds. I'm not (laughs) concerned at what message adults are taking away from the movie. I don't Uh care about them. Okay. I'm concerned. This is what, this is my, this is my major concern. I'm concerned that my daughter is going to watch this and then become cynical and start not trusting people because that's what the entire movie is about it's about it's about putting your whole trust in this one guy who at the very end through absolutely no act in other any other part of the movie turns out to be a total liar and potential murderer you know what i mean it's not like it's not like she's missing signs that she should be seeing she's not missing anything this guy is playing the role perfectly and he, then he turns out to be a psychopath at the end of the movie. And so, so the message, I, I don't want my two-year-old uh-huh. to walk away from a Disney movie thinking, like, I can't trust the world around me. You know what I mean? Like, Disney movies are supposed to lift you up. Disney, Disney movies are supposed to, like, are supposed to restore your faith in humanity. Instead, they have one of the most, like realistic and vile like people of all time at the end of the movie, this guy who's just lying to get his way and potentially willing to murder and let people die to get his way.
1: Yeah. He wouldn't really finish her sandwich like they say in the, in the song,
0: but that's what makes it eat. Like they're dressing it up in this children's mood. It's, it's such a weird message for a for a kid's movie to be... It is it is teaching... It is telling kids to be cynical. Well, no, I think... That's my feeling on well, it. Well,
1: I think... I, I will just say... taking It is your, a cynical message. T- taking your argument, I guess what I would say is what they're saying is be careful, right? Don't just sit there and say, for the first guy who comes along and seems like he could finish your sandwiches with you, that that's the guy that you need to marry, right? You need to, mm. like... Give it some time. But as soon as that guy's gone, what does she
0: do? Jumps to the next guy.
1: Now, that is a legitimate concern, right? Her guy hopping from when guy one goes, how quickly guy two comes. I think I would agree with that problem more than with him turning out to be the bad guy. I think also from a storyline, they're subverting a trope. So I think just when you're looking at a tried and true story and you're trying to find ways to like, how can we make this new or interesting or fresh? That's one way to do it. So sure. From a, you can see what they're trying to do from a story point, and then you can also see what they're doing thematically by just saying, hey, girls, it's not just all about the prince. It's not just about the first guy who comes along who can sing a song with you and duet with you. That's the guy you need to marry. Sure, but how Take your time.
0: many five-year-olds are saying, you know what, I'm, I'm just really sick of this girl meets guy and
1: falls in love
0: immediately like give me something different disney like
1: yeah any 5 year old who loves disney movies <laughs> other than frozen yeah. she she might be burnt out
0: okay so i have a few other things about the movie i do not like i don't think it's f- well i'll say the, the this thing because i i brought it up to you yesterday the two sisters are d- designed like babies they look like giant <laughs> babies they have giant eyes and really tiny facial features. They have tiny noses, tiny mouths, tiny chins, and they have round faces. They are, it is a baby's head and face on top of an adult body. And that is weird. That is creepy, right? another You have a point there. Another problem I have is the movie is not funny. Like, Olaf Is not funny. He's not a his jokes aren't funny. Josh Gad is not funny. Like there's nothing about them. Like Aladdin is funny. Lion King is funny. It's not impossible to make a funny kids movie. Frozen is not funny. Okay, Olaf's big joke is that he wants to know what it's like in summer. Not a funny joke. First of all. Second of all, he finds out what it's like in summer. He likes it. It's nice, but he melts. You know what would be funny? If he finally got to summer and then he just melted and was dead and was gone permanently. Like See, you want to talk about adult themes in a kid's movie. Do that because that's the funny joke.
1: And, and you'd rather he gets what have, he wants
0: and it kills him.
1: Right. Well, you know what? You couldn't kill him for a children's movie. But you know what you could do? Maybe he melts, but that's they save saying. him. They save him as a puddle. And then they sure. refreeze the puddle, but he can never go back to his original form. Fine. So then he's Olaf, the frozen puddle.
0: Right. But that's also my other problem with Olaf. Not only does he then get to live in the summer and be fine, he's lost his big joke. Right. He no longer has his one he's go still, to joke about how summer what he wonders what it's like, like a snowman wants to know what it's like. And like, that's not funny. It's not a funny premise. He and still then has once he gets the premise, his joke is gone.
1: He still has no bones. That's another go-to joke that he has. He doesn't have that a skull. That he can
0: just be pulled apart
1: at any moment. No, he, he mentions that he doesn't have a skull. Oh, I must have missed that. Or a bone. That part. Yeah. That's, <laughs> his that's other, one
0: of the minutes I've missed. That's
1: his other good one. Okay.
0: Uh let it go. It's a terrible song. The song that no represents more. the movie is a terrible song. And it's a song that has two notes, and one note is singing like a baby, and the other note is literally screaming your head off. Like, that song features a woman singing in a Jennifer Tilly baby voice, and then crescendoing with her, like, screaming. She's screaming. That is not, she's not singing when she, like, I don't even know what you want to call it, hits the high notes or whatever. The, at the pinnacle of that song, she's screaming. It's it's m- like a fraction of a decibel away from a scream, <laughs> right. and it is terrible.
1: Like if you just section out her high note and you just played it out, like just through you loudspeaker, would think someone I don't know was being like How many people would run out to be like, right. "Is <laughs> yeah. everybody okay right. out
0: here?" Yeah, okay. This is the last thing I'll say, and I this is the most baseless problem I have with the movie. And so I'll make it the last thing. The first thing I said to you about this movie after I watched it was the first, after I watched it the first time is that it made me think that it was, um, what is that movie called? It made me think it was, uh, what is that racist movie called? Birth of a nation. (laughs) Yes. It's birth. It's the birth of a nation for toddlers (laughs) because it is, the movie itself is completely white. The setting is completely white. The background, everything, is the design is completely white. And all of the characters are completely white. And so after I watched it the first time, I was kind of like, it's kind of weird that all of these people are white. So then I did a little bit of research on it. And there's a, a I won't say huge, but there's, a, there's like a big like to-do about it on the internet, about why everyone in Frozen is white. And there's a bunch of like going back and forths of like, well, it's representing these people who are all white and all this stuff and blah blah blah. So I don't really want to get into all of that stuff. I don't really think they're trying to be racist with the movie, but I do think it's weird that everyone's white, right? Is that a legitimate complaint?
1: I mean, I'm thinking about all the characters and trying and to look. I, like I said, I've seen
0: this movie. More than 10 times. No,
1: you've seen... You haven't I've even seen, seen it once. Listen, I would say I've
0: seen the majority of the movie more than 10 times. <laughs> there may be middle sections that I've seen.
1: You're still working towards your first viewing, but you're on like but attempt seven. It's
0: it's strange to me that everybody is white. And, and people want to come with the defense of like, oh, well, they're trying to represent these people, blah, 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 blah. There's talking snowman in the movie. There's a snow monster in the movie. There are trolls in the movie. Like, they're clearly not trying to be historically 100% correct. Throw some, like, throw some other races in your movie, please. (laughs) You know what I mean? And I hate to be that guy. I hate to be the guy that complains about that stuff. But, like, as I'm growing as a father of mixed-race kids... I'm starting to notice that stuff more well, where I it's like, uh, you know what I mean? Like, le- I would like a little bit of diversity. And I
1: feel like it says something about you that what you viewed as your most baseless claim might be your one of your most uh, sound, sound arguments <laughs> against it. Well, I just I know that
0: it's a it's it I, I did. Like I said, I did a little bit of research on it. And it was all these Tumblr posts about this is what the people in Frozen should really look like. But then there's another Tumblr post about well, if you actually go back there, factually correct all this stuff. And as soon as I saw people going back and forth about it on Tumblr, I was like,
1: you lost interest. Yeah,
0: I don't want to be associated with these people. <laughs> so that's the only reason I say it might be a little baseless. But I would like a little bit of diversity. Like, you're Duly not making you're not making a you're not making a, a, a story. Oh, so I watched something that I know that you... I've, I'm sure that anyone with Netflix has seen this on Netflix somewhere because the title is so terrible that you're just like...
1: Oh, yeah. Right? hmm
0: So I watched the first episode of the Netflix original series, Scrodal Recall.
1: And did you say you watched any of it? You no, were thinking about it. I, I was thinking about, again, for those reasons that... It is terribly named. Yeah. And it's almost so poorly named that you have to watch five minutes of it. Which is to see exactly a- why I watched it. So I'd seen it before
0: and it was like, am I really going to watch Scrotal Recall? And I didn't. Right. And then I guess it was last week sometime. I was just like, I well, I did see a headline that was like Scrotal Recall is way better than it should be, or something like that, or then the name would make you think, and that's pretty much exactly the case, it's like, it is such a terrible, horrible name, but the show itself, I think it depends on your taste, it's a British show, so, but it is very British, you know, it's very quick, it's very, you know, clever, and it's very dry, and that's pretty much it, And I'll say by the end of the first episode, I was like, I could probably watch another episode of this, but I didn't. So, I mean, if you're on the fence, it's about like and even the premise is like it's about a guy who just found out he has some STD and now he has to go back and inform all the women he slept with that he has this STD. And so he's going through it alphabetically. And so each episode is this is how I met this girl. Right. Wow. And, how many
1: th- women does he?
0: That's the other question I had. And I didn't even bother to because there's only six episodes, I think, in the first. Season. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even go that far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I didn't look to see like who the last person was to see how far they'd made it into the alphabet.
1: I want to see this as like an anthology where every season or series, as they say over in England, is just a new person with a new STD. <laughs> and sometimes they're funny and sometimes they're very serious. Right. So depending on what STD they have to tell right. people <laughs> determines whether this is like a comedy season or a very dramatic mm. like... We're gonna look at HIV now. Yeah. This, is- <laughs>
0: yeah, this person will be dead by the end of the series.
1: <laughs> this is horrific. This yeah. is chlamydia.
0: Um, so do you think you're ever going to watch it? I mean, I'm. I'm considering how many things you've watched and you watch on a regular basis. I th- I see it as like inevitable that you're going to watch at least one episode of this.
1: I. I probably will. I do like British humor. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of British humor. And I don't doubt that it's decent. Yeah. But the title, Scrotal Recall, I feel like, is there something lost in translation? Is this one of those, um, like, is Scrotal used more over in England? Is that a more common terminology? I don't know. To be like... Because over here, I mean, and it's like, well,
0: and it's also a play on an American movie, right? American Total movie recall? title,
1: right? Does it have any even like thematic allude? Like, no. Hmm. Yeah, I don't like it.
0: No, it is such a t- it is such a wh- and it's like it's like I said, or like we've talked about before. It's one of those titles that's so bad that it will stop you from watching listening recommending like diarrhea planet was for a long time for me like i refuse to listen to diarrhea planet because their name of their band and but now i've completely i'm you've i'm flip-flopping on whether or not it's the greatest band name of all time (laughs) you've taken the plunge
1: you're all in in diarrhea planet
0: Um, we also watched a couple episodes of Chef's Table, another Netflix series. So have we? And so you've watched the first four?
1: Four, I believe. There's yeah. only six of these.
0: Is two though, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah, we we're, we got two left.
0: And we've watched the, we've watched the first two.
1: Oh, you haven't gotten any more. Well, nope. it's only one day. Yeah. Um, I I have to say, you know, we, we we touched on it, but the second guy, it just doesn't. It just gets to me still that. You know, here's a guy who's talking about sustainability and he's feeding, you know, how many hundreds he, of people a he, year. Right. He's feeding, <laughs> like
0: you like you said yesterday, he's feeding the w- top 1% of the 1%. 1%. Like, it's fine, but.
1: Right. They're tasting what a radish really tastes right. like. Really tasty. And I feel like if you gave that radish to someone else, like on the street, they'd pop it in their mouth, they'd chew it, and they'd go get a hot dog. Right.
0: Yeah. And, be like, and then they be I'm still like, hungry. You want me to pay $20 for this one radish because I could feed my whole family at McDonald's for that $20. Exactly. Um yeah, it it to me it kind of I'm not the whole food scene kind of bugs me and like I feel like it's really extravagant and I don't understand that extravagance. So but My wife is super into it. So I wasn't really looking forward to the series, but I knew she would really like it. So we watched the first episode, and I did like that the first episode focuses more on the the person than it did the food. Uh, And so that was pretty interesting. And that first guy is really interesting. And even the second episode, his name's Dan Barber, I believe. It does focus on Dan Barber, but Dan Barber is so focused on the food that they're basically focusing on the food.
1: They also get these weird admissions a lot of times. You'll see them. The third one has a really weird admission where I don't know if it's their interview style or the way that they have their setup, but even Dan Barber just starts talking about his anger. Yeah. And in the third one, there's this really kind of poignant moment of realization where this guy has in the middle of all this stuff. And he doesn't seem like a guy who would really come out with that. You know, he seems kind of closed off and he's older. seems like he does things his way. And uh, I, I appreciate it for that. I feel like every episode they get a personal moment. With these people and then there's something there's something about just seeing the beauty like i'm i'm with you know your your, your wife in the sense of liking to see where the food is coming from and where and how it's put together like mm. that stuff just interests me but i wish that they would i don't know i get you you have to focus on the food i, I just wish that they'd talk about some substantial issues, right? Because Dan Barber going on and on and on about like what he's doing with this farm and all this other stuff. But I feel like, yeah, to the family who has that same amount of money and needs to feed six people, what are we going to do for them? If we turned all our surplus land into farmland, it wouldn't sus- sustain the population right. around it. That's, that's a fact, right. right? So how do we deal with that? Okay, yeah. so then basically you're enlightening the 1% on what a radish can taste like if it's (laughs) untouched by pesticides. Mm -hmm. Well, do the Lord's work then up there. Okay, (laughs) thank you. I just don't know what to do with that. Yeah, yeah, there's such a focus
0: on that second episode. And that's why I like the first one is because it does follow this guy who's an interesting guy. But yeah, there's such a focus on the second one. They are constantly talking about how delicious the food is and how they want people to be able to understand how good natural tasting food is. But it's like, that's not like people aren't eating McDonald's because they think it's the best tasting food in the world. They're eating it because that's what they can afford. right? You know what I mean? It's not, it's about the money. Basically it's always about the money in any of these situations. It's not about, I don't want to feed my children the best available food. It's about, I need to feed my children whatever I can afford to buy. Right. And that's not going to be, uh, you know, a, a spiked plate of radishes and carrots from Dan Barber's, like, private farm. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm sure my, my wife will carry on and finish the series, but I'm not. Oh, you're done? I'm not particularly interested. Mm. Like I said, that's f- food stuff. It just doesn't interest me. I've got no stake in it. Okay. I am the I am a person that is perfectly fine with eating McDonald's for dinner. Like I'm I'm not gonna tell you it's the greatest food in the world, but at the same time, I just I understand that I have to eat, so I'm just gonna eat something and I don't really care what it <laughs> is, to be honest.
1: Here's the last question before we move on. How would you feel if McDonald's served their same food but presented it like Dan Barber does? So like (laughs) the French fries came on like spikes, (laughs) you know, their, their hamburger came like in a single Uh, wooden box (laughs) that you had to uh, open up. Yeah.
0: I'm fine. I'm, I mean, as long as it's not more expensive, I don't care. (laughs) Right. Um, so we both watched montage of heck, the documentary on Kurt Cobain. I watched it. I think it was on Monday. Oh, Last Monday, so a week ago. And it was more of a... It was just like I saw that was on HBO. I don't know if it's an HBO documentary. Yeah, it is. Oh, it is? Okay. So I just checked it out. And I hadn't read much about it. I mean, I knew it was about Kurt Cobain. That was it. And I grew up listening to Nirvana. But they were never like... uh, Idol, you know what I mean? I never like worshiped them. I did listen to Nevermind a lot, which watching the documentary made me look up when that album came out, which it came out in '91, I think, which means I was nine years old when that (laughs) album came out. So (laughs) I'm thinking, like, what was I doing listening (laughs) to that album at nine years old? Like, I remember. For an Easter present, my mom got me their unplugged album. <laughs> it was like so weird, but I loved it, right? Yeah. I listened to it incessantly, and I think for me, that's the one thing the documentary kind of did for me is like that's music that I haven't listened to in a long time, and I wouldn't necessarily stand by now at thirty two but at the same time, I can't deny the sort of nostalgia it has for me, and like it still brings back, uh, maybe those feelings or those memories I of when I was nine or ten or eleven, how however old I was when I was listening to it. And so for me, that it was interesting on that level, but beyond that, beyond that, I mean, so it's a documentary about Kurt Cobain, and the feeling I got from it is. It was trying to be less of a documentary and more of a like trying to present to you the Kurt Cobain's uh, perception or like how Worldly he experienced ethos, the world, yeah. basically, because it's like part interviews and then it's part just like noise sound collages like on the best show, basically.
1: Right. And sound collages that he made right. some of them using his artwork, right, right. Animating the drawings that he did, things like right. that. And then just pure animation, right. doing Like his voiceover.
0: And so that's kind of why I felt that like your take on this documentary is going to like, the mileage is going to vary depending on how you feel about Kurt Cobain. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really care about Kurt Cobain. He was never this important figure in my life. So experiencing the world, how he experienced it for two hours, not really my thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like he was kind of a weirdo. He was a junkie. Like I'm not that interested in that perspective.
1: Yeah. I guess, I guess for me, what, so I had a few reactions. Number one is the way that, the filmmaker, I, I listened to an interview with him and read some stuff. And he's talking about like going into like the warehouse of all of Kurt's, you know, boxes of his mixtapes and sound and all that. He's like, I just want it to be like you know, Kurt's voice, right? And present his perspective. Like that was his goal or whatever. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I'm like, you're curating it though. You do understand that, right? right. That even though you're you're presenting Kurt's words. You're picking and choosing which words to include. So you're still shaping a narrative. Right. And that's why I found frustrating is I felt like it was indulgent of the material that he had. Where it's just like long pieces of collage or whatever. Where I'm sitting there going, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? Like I, I get it, you know. Now move the story along. Yeah. I found myself actually being excited by the talking head interviews more than I was about the other things. Oh, absolutely. Those are the only things that are interesting. Right. And and that's that's why I feel like, okay, you can present this person's perspective all you want, but you still need to shape it and you need to own up to the fact that you're shaping it. What are you trying to tell us with this piece? Right? Why are you including this? Why are you including that? Why would you leave this out? You know? And so those are the things that I, I found frustrating just in terms of a documentary standpoint. I think the other thing too, and this and this may may be baseless. Mm-hmm. So like you, I want to preface <laughs> what I'm about to say with I understand that this might not be not be something that I, I'm proud that I say in a week. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but I felt like I understood I watched the footage of Kurt Cobain's life but when he gets to be a teenager and on into Nirvana and stuff he seems kind of like a petulant he's a bit, he's a bit of a brat yeah he's a bit of a brat yeah. and I I just felt like and people kept kind of saying stuff like oh he just wanted a family he just wanted a family but the problem was is that he kind of had siblings so basically he wanted a family of only him like he wanted to be the only child and be the focus of attention and when he couldn't have that that seemed in 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 what this documentary was alluding to was kind of seemed to be the impetus of of his breaking away and feeling very disaffected by the world and everything but at some point when you're just in his head for so long And I understand issues of depression, right? And I'm sure that he was battling other things and issues and demons. But part of me just wanted to be like, what a self-indulgent brat, you know?
0: Yeah. And that's why I was saying I think your mileage will vary depending because I think people that love Kurt Cobain, I mean, there are people, at least growing up, who loved, worshipped, Kurt Cobain, you know, Kurt Cobain was the greatest musician of our generation growing up. At least that's how it was in like the suburbs of Ohio, where I went to school. Right. He was people. He was worshipped. So I feel like those people would enjoy that. Me. This is a two hour and 15 minute long documentary. And it needs to be an hour and a half long. Oh, yeah. I'm fine with having a handful of the montage moments in there but like you said the most interesting things were the interview were the interviews with the different people and one thing you said to me yesterday which I thought was interesting is that the majority of the room uh, reviews seem to be calling it a puff piece well yeah I wouldn't say the majority but
1: what I've been hearing Mm, like what you've seen yeah yeah they they you know they kind of said it's not critical at all in terms mm. of, and the director, it was really interesting. Cause after I said that and I finished the documentary, I listened to the interviews. The, the, the documentarian is like really adamant that he's like proud that this is not a puff piece because he's like, I'm showing Courtney love naked and I'm showing them, you know, at their worst. But I'm like, that doesn't just, that doesn't mean that it's not a puff piece. Right. Like, right.
0: well, my feeling was that, I, I don't necessarily think it's a puff piece, but I was never really sure or aware of like the level of heroin that Kurt Cobain was doing, right? And I think he was doing a lot. But that goes back to what, what I'm I mean? saying,
1: yeah. On on the you're curating this stuff, right? Right. So you can't just sit there and be like, yeah, I'm including this. Like he cuts to tabloids, like right. tabloid stories of. And I'm like, okay, so are you equating this tabloid story to what's actually happening in his life at this point? Are you trying to make it a point to say like this is what the tabloids are saying? But in reality, it gave me no insight other than just prevent just throwing words and phrases at me, and I didn't know where any of it was coming from. And right. I just wanted to be like, so what are you trying to say about this? And in the interview, Courtney Love says like. I used it once when I was pregnant, but then I stopped. And
0: Right, and that's what's the tabloid thing is is interesting because, like you said, it, it gets brought up, and I think the average American, or at least the average viewer of that documentary, is going to see tabloid stuff and think, that's not true. Like, we don't... That's why I'm like, thinking. Like, tabloids are tabloids. They're not known for their honesty. They're known for their sensationalism. So when you're seeing headlines and tabloids that say like Courtney love is using heroin why she's pregnant you're thinking oh that's probably not true but then that whole like mini arc ends with like a court ordered of uh, separation from their child because it was born addicted to heroin and you're like oh, oh my gosh <laughs> like that's horrible you know what I mean but that is it, but what's so confusing to me is that that is in the documentary, so I feel like no, it's not a puff piece. But at the same time, it's presented in such a way that you're like, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to believe this or not. I'm not sure what the truth is. Here.
1: And and that and that's what I'm saying. That's yeah. that's where I feel like yeah, just because you include the stuff does not absolve you of being like, I showed him at their worst. I did my job, and he was he even said in the beginning of this interview he did on Slate where he was like, you know, I if the footage. Built the mythology, then I would have done that. And if it discounted the mythology, I would have shown that. Like I went where the material was. right. But I want to be like, no, you went with where two hours of material took you. Right. That you curated. Right. You know? So, I mean, I I don't know. I have issues with it from, from the basic approach. And I don't think that he pulled off what he was trying to do on any level because... Again, my feelings of Kurt Cobain at the end of it were like he was kind of a brat. Mm-hmm. At the same time, he was obviously dealing with a lot of stuff, yeah. and I don't want to easily dismiss somebody. But I, I just—that's my reaction, right? I watched your whole documentary. I got to the end of it, and I was like, "Ugh, yeah." I, I would not want to idolize that guy, mm-hmm. you know. And I'd feel terrible if. Somebody that I did idolize, I didn't watch their, yeah. their dog, And they turned out to be like that. I'd be like, right. oh gosh. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. So I think it like I said, if you're super into Kurt Cobain, I'm sure you'll like it, at least like it. I mean, I found it, like I said, entertaining. I grew up listening to the music. I think at the when I was listening to it, I was probably too young to like really understand what was going on, or like who he was, or what I he was so. doing. I hope so. Right. But You know, I knew at least who, I knew the name at least.
1: Um, So you watched Selma. I watched Selma. And the main thing I wanted to say about this, so this is, you know, the fictional retelling of a series of marches that took place in Selma, Alabama, that Martin Luther King Jr. helped to kind of sponsor and, Mm -hmm. and lead. He wasn't, there. there's actually a series of marches. So he wasn't there for some of them, some of the most, violent ones actually um but i wanted to bring this up because i found it a great counterpoint to american sniper Mm -hmm. which i saw last week so in american sniper i was trying to articulate the the criticism against the portrayal of chris kyle Mm -hmm. and how i feel like those are two separate conversations to be had the film and then kind of the responsibility of filmmakers to their subject matters whatever especially when it's a narrative film right when it's not purporting to be a documentary or anything like that um and in Selma there's another kind of uh brouhaha about the portrayal of Johnson uh Lyndon B. Johnson and the film portrays him as being kind of if not against the civil rights movement and specifically getting a voting right act passed mm-hmm. being very um very cool on the idea of that being a priority in this administration and trying to get Martin Luther King Jr. to kind of help him steer you know the whole kind of cultural ship in a different direction. Mm-hmm. So he is seen as kind of opposed to Martin Luther King Jr. Well by all kind of credible historical accounts of Johnson's pres- uh, presidency. Um, he was not as opposed as the film made him right out to be. And some people got kind of bent out of shape about it. So again, I'm watching this movie. I know about that criticism. Um, I'm watching it. I see Johnson standing up to Martin Luther King jr. And I'm like, I don't care. And it's because <laughs> of the same thing, right? Uh-huh. Like, there is dramatic license in narrative retelling. Martin Luther King Jr. is fighting a system, a system of neglect, oppression, however you want to view it. And the government was part of that. So the filmmakers just decided to say he was up against a system. We don't have time to like flesh right. out the whole system. Lyndon B. Johnson is going to be representative of the system that Martin Luther King Jr. was fighting against. Right. Boom, done makes the makes the the thematic point we're moving on and i don't think that films like that have that kind of especially if it's a narrative that kind of fidelity to the historical account to make sure that everything is represented as clearly and precisely as possible Mm -hmm. because that's a that's a fishing net tangle right like you can't start undoing all that because all the things that you know, like there, there's a murder in the um, in the film that doesn't happen exactly how it was in real life, right? Uh-huh. So how, could I, as a descendant, be like, I'm offended that you did not portray my relatives, you know, death properly and accurately, right? No, they changed the setting so it fit better with the dramatic arc of the story, right? So I just feel like, It's a perfect counterpoint. And I was glad I watched Selma after American Sniper to say this is, yes, in narrative film, this is how we need to approach film in real life. We can have discussions and debates. But when it comes to narrative film, I have no problem saying. And and the other thing I want to say, too, is after watching Selma and while watching Selma, I was researching it. Mm -hmm. They said a name. Boom. Pulling it up researching James Reeb mm-hmm. and learning about him. So, I mean, I think films need to inspire further investigation <clears throat> and we need to have a healthy skepticism of our art. I, I would rather have it where we are skeptical of our art than mm-hmm. where we are so kind of passive in our feelings that like, Oh yeah, everything portrayed in this film is accurate that we don't question it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I say, you know, dramatic license away. (laughs) I feel like there are lines that that can be crossed in art, right? There is responsibility, I should say. But in terms of American Sniper and Selma, to me, they're both working in the same sandbox. And you just need to be like, watch the film, understand the themes that are coming through, Mm -hmm. and sure, you can nitpick it to death. But I think the themes are there. You know, if if American Sniper did not deal so heavily with PTSD, that's where I think I'd have a problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like, but I think Clint Eastwood, he didn't maybe handle it perfectly, but he made an attempt. I don't think you can watch that and be like, oh, that's a glorification of Chris Kyle. And that's, you know, it's ridiculous. And they made him out to be the second coming, you know? He he really wasn't. Chris Kyle, if you watch American Sniper, is pretty messed up.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't seen either, but I would say that that's where the director's, you know, bias comes into play. Like, if American Sniper was directed by Chris Kyle's dad, you know what I mean? I would think you would then have an argument to say this is just to glorify Chris Kyle.
1: Right. And and films are made by teams, right? I mean, you got sure. a screenwriter, you got producers, you got, you know, directors, you got actors. Like... Who knows? Who knows the the, the the pressures that somebody's under to be like, you know, Age of Ultron. Neither of us have seen it, but I know like stories are coming out of like what Joss Whedon had to include in his right. in his film. Right. So who knows if they're like, hey, we will give you the rights to this, but you better show or not include, you know, Chris Cowell's memoir. Can you can you make a legitimate film and be like, yeah, we're not going to touch anything in the memoir? Sure, because I think Clint Clint Eastwood did it. He didn't focus on when Chris Kyle was writing his memoir, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, again, a whole tangle of stuff that... Go research on your own. It doesn't take you long to find out that Chris Kyle wrote a messed up book, you know, that's full of fabrications and lies.
0: Right. Yeah, I don't disagree that you can't... There's no way to really communicate the you know the intricacies of the lyndon johnson relationship with martin luther king in a two-hour movie right but i also don't necessarily think the answer is to just make lyndon johnson the bad guy it just seems like it's a poor shorthand shortcoming of making a narrative movie and to me it seems more like an argument to just not making
1: just make a documentary that that gets back so again separate outside of the american sniper i say that too if you want to base a, a story on someone's life make a documentary right put in actual film scenes like they do in touching the void one of my favorite documentaries of all time Dramatize certain aspects, but put it in the context of a documentary. Yeah, you know, have talking heads in it that will give us context. If you want to make a narrative film, just make a narrative film based on Chris Kyle, but don't call it American Sniper. Don't call it the Chris Kyle story. Mm-hmm. Just make a guy who suffers PTSD comes home messed right. up and gets shot by a veteran. Yeah, boom, done. Yeah, moving on.
0: Okay, so moving on, you watch something else called Map. Maps to the Stars?
1: Yeah, it's the new David Cronenberg
0: film. Okay.
1: (laughs) Yes. And I basically want to say this about Maps to the Stars. It is a muddled attempt at this kind of despicable look at Hollywood. Uh And two things. Number one, I'm really tired of Hollywood trying to critique itself Uh and by big name filmmakers and stuff. And Cronenberg, I guess is probably at the tipping point. He's the right guy to probably make a really piercing satire on Hollywood because he's not a go-to guy, right? He's not making big tentpole releases, but he is a well-established, you know, filmmaker. But when I look at like the cast, like Julianne Moore, John Cusack, um, John Cusack, who's
0: also, isn't he
1: crazy? He's like lost his mind, right? Yeah, Yeah. Mia Wasikowska. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, all these big stars are attracted to to films like this. I just, I kind of feel like, what are you guys, I mean, you know, what are you guys saying here? Like, is this really a satire on on Hollywood that you're like, I hate my world that I'm in? Like, do you Mm -hmm. hate, do you hate? Hollywood or are you just like excited about like a script in this character that you get to play, mm-hmm. you know? So that's just my issue. When I watch this, I just said in the back of my mind, I have like a thing like, Oh, Julian Moore. Yeah. Hollywood sucks. Really? Okay. What's, what are the next eight films that you're doing and how mm-hmm. many, you know, kind of tentpole Hollywood films are you doing in those? Right. It's the same problem. I had, you know, people love idiocracy now Way after Idiocracy came out and bombed. Mm-hmm. But then I'm looking, I'm like, Dak Shepherd is in that. Right. He he would have been propagating some of those shows that they make fun of in Idiocracy. Right. He he was in some of those. Yeah. So I mean, are those the people who are who are kind of owning up to like, yeah, we hate what we had to do early on? Or are they completely oblivious to like, oh yeah, this is hilarious and this is funny, and they're really critiquing themselves and they don't even right, know it no or they don't get it. Um yeah, I have a question. So Maps of the Stars are supposed to be funny? So, yeah, I'm sorry. Sure ma- How maps, did you watch it? Um, it was on demand. Okay. And so... Um, Is it in
0: theaters? Is it going it, to it theaters? It was
1: in and okay. out. And honestly, it's been a while since I, I saw it a little while. So I can't really remember yeah. where, but it keeps popping up here and there, like yeah. on demand, voodoo or whatever. So anyway, um, I... So, basically, it's about, it follows, like, an actress. It follows all these people surrounding Hollywood. There's a family who has a young son that they're pushing into acting. He's like a Justin Bieber on the acting side of it. He's Mm -hmm. 13, horrific, child, racist, foul mouth, whatever, jerk. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you follow Julianne Moore, who's an aging actress, who's trying to get in a reprisal of, a film her mother was in decades before. And so it's about her trying to get that job and all the horrific things that she'll do for that. And she has an assistant and all the horrible things there. And it is, I think supposed to be like dark humor. It's not funny, you know, Mm -hmm. and just, it's just muddled is what it is. It's just a whole muddled execution has some of the worst CG I've ever seen in my life. Um, What
0: was the last David Cronenberg movie that you liked?
1: That's the other thing. So the last thing I want to say about it is I like David Cronenberg when he's controlled. Okay. So A Dangerous Method, I may be one of the only like five people who likes that film in the world. Like, I don't
0: even know what that movie is.
1: It's about um, Freud and Young, I think. Mm-hmm. And... I've heard of that. I've yeah, they, they they had competing theories, and it came out in this um, patient. Mm-hmm. Kira Knightley plays her, and um, and I actually really like. And it's really restrained. When Cronenberg really lets loose, I kind of tend to um, kind of disconnect from what he does. Mm-hmm. But when he controls himself, his uh, history of violence, I didn't really like. But um, history of violence is terrible. Eastern Promises. Eastern East-
0: Promises is not good either.
1: I love Eastern Promises. Um and Maps of the Stars, I think, needed more of that control, mm-hmm. and I, I think I would have liked it if it was more focused, centered around one specific idea or concept. As it is, it's a, it's a complete kind of muddled mm-hmm. attempt at, like, look how terrible Hollywood is, and look at the stars of Hollywood, be like, look how terrible we all are, you know?
0: I feel like that's been his thing for a while now, though. David Cronenberg, like... Being a Hollywood
1: outsider, quote unquote. Well, I mean, that's kind of why people love a history of violence. Is because the right. history of violence is basically taking what would be a commercial film and completely flipping it on its head, and making it very uncommercial. Um, and I hate it.
0: Uh, you finished sex. You finished reading Sex Criminals.
1: I finished Sex Criminals, and you know, I would say. <laughs> I wish I hadn't read it because I'm, I'm a completist and I feel like I need to oh, see really? the series through. <laughs> but to me, it's too much of like the, and I, you know, I should have known, like it's called Sex Criminals. Yeah. Like it's just going to be like nudge, nudge, nudge. You know, everything that we do is going to be set like in a porn shop or oh, it's really? all going to be like referencing sex just mm-hmm. endlessly. And I just felt like I was interested because it's getting all these rave reviews and I was anticipating them to like expand and ground the story a little more. So, all so you think you're going to get like a like a sex criminal kind of pulpy tale, but then you, what you really get is kind of you know something that's more thoughtful, like saga, right? Like right. saga really goes for in certain places, but really grounds itself in a family mm-hmm. dynamic. And it's really about parenthood in a a lot of ways. And I thought they were going to ground it and make it more about sexual relationships. Like that's rich territory and is worthy of being covered and explored in a real way. And instead what you get is kind of a bunch of jokes about sex. Mm -hmm. And these people have to have sex in order to make time stop. So they have to do it outside. They got to do it in a car. And they gotta go to these, you know, sex shops. And this guy, it, it ends by trying to put in some new things that I'm interested about, but it's too silly. It, it, it also like it brought in these kind of possible villains, and they're just silly. And I didn't understand how they fit into the world. Mm-hmm. And then it ends, and I was like, it's not even on the cliffhanger. It just feels like in the middle. And I know that it's a series, right? Like I can go pick up, but I only buy them in like the trade paperback. trade trade paperbacks. So I know I could go and, and the story's continuing, but where the first trade paperback ends, I'm like, I really don't want to return. Yeah. But I feel like I've don't paid do it. $10. Oh,
0: forget about it. <laughs> Just throw it in the trash.
1: Oh, that I cannot do. <laughs> um,
0: so you played a game called Cordial Minuet?
1: Yes. So I played a game called Cordial Minuet by Jason Rohrer. He's the guy. Oh, the Castle Doctrine guy? Yeah, he did Castle Doctrine. And is it a PC game? Yeah, you can download it from he has a website Mm -hmm. set up. And you have to, it's it's free to play, but well, it's not free to play. It's free to download, but you have to put in $2 minimum. All the way up to like just under a million dollars, I think. (laughs) And you can play games for a penny. Or all the way up to, I guess, just under a million dollars. So you're paying per game? So, yeah. Per play? So, yeah. per. So basically what you do is you say, like, you set up, I want to play a game for a cent, right? Somebody else joins the game. So it's you against somebody else. And it's a, it's a, like, a bingo card almost. And it's covered with numbers. And you have two sliders, green and red and you have to pick a column for you and pick a column for your for the other person. And they on the card are doing so you do columns, they're doing rows. And then they're picking you know one row for you and one row for them. But you don't see and then you you end that turn and it shows you the column you chose for yourself and the column they chose for you and whatever number it kind of intersects that that's your number for that move and then you can bet. So you start whether it's a, a cent game or a hundred dollars or whatever, you start with a hundred coins. Mm-hmm. And each game, you know, the 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 ante is one. And you bet after each turn. So you see the intersection. You see your score, but you don't see where they intersected. You only see the the column you chose for them. Mm-hmm. And you go until the whole card's filled up. And then your total basically is what you're going for your total points at the end of all the moves will be your total score. And then they'll have a total score. And then you bet based on what you have, what possibilities they could have, you know, whether you want to go all in, once you win, you know, all their coins, you would win like that cent. Mm-hmm. you know, or like I, I started with $2. I'm up to five. Mm-hmm. So um, it's slow going. But it's interesting, mm-hmm. and at first it feels very much like luck, because you're like, w- why would I pick my this column over this column? I don't know, because I don't know what they're gonna pick, you know. But then slowly you start to see the strategy in it, where you know when the card is wide open, you want them to intersect at a low number, right? But they're probably anticipating that you're gonna pick that low number, so you need to think, how far are they gonna go down the low numbers? That they're anticipating you to go. Mm-hmm. And then you have to kind of guess where they're where, where where they're thinking for them and then what you're thinking for you. Mm-hmm. And as you pick, obviously it gets less and less and less. So the strategy becomes more and more. We're like, okay, they either think I'm going here or here, you know, because these have the high numbers. So mm-hmm. what are you gonna choose? Um he's also doing like a unofficial tournament right now. A guy is almost has thousandth game in this. And he's like going to set up a special $10 game that if you beat him on that $10 game, he'll give you like, he'll double your winnings. And then Jason Rohr will give you like double your winning or five times the winnings. I think is what they're saying. So $50. It, it, it Yeah. It depends on, the, on what you win. Oh, okay. so like each game, like you could leave having more coins and you win a percentage of the, of the $10 game. You don't win the whole thing. You need to oh, get all its coins to get, you know, $10. Yeah. So you can ba- You can jump in, win one, get like one coin higher and bail and get like 0.1 cent mm-hmm. of the winnings if you want it. How did you hear about it? Uh, a website. I, I honestly can't remember which one. The other thing I want to say is that apparently it's in the title. Oh, I think it was Kotaku. Mm-hmm. Um, they called it um, mildly satanic. <laughs> and as I read, I wanted to read more about it to be like, well, what, what, what about this makes, makes it satanic or yeah. whatever, you know, what am I getting into? And, um, basically Jason Rohr is really interested in the occult. Well, he's a weird guy. Well, this game kind of proves it. He's yeah. really interested in the occult. And he says they kind of like designed it in whatever using like occult symbols or whatever. So, I mean, they they only hinted at it in one article that kind of tried to address it. And basically the guy started and then kind of gave up. He's like, <laughs> look, Jason Rohr researched this. Yeah. it it has something to do with something. Yeah, we'll take his word for it. We'll <laughs> take his word for it. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it got he it's got Hebrew characters and oh, okay. whatever. But I don't know. I I've played it a little bit. Like I said, I've gone from two dollars to five. I play a little bit. and I think I've gotten a hang of it, and I'm interested in in terms of a of the strategy game and trying to outthink. There's something very satisfying about outthinking a, another person, right? Where you see what they chose, and you're like, "I knew it." Yeah, it
0: kind of reminds me of daily fantasy. Where I feel like at the end of the game, I would just be blaming myself for not making the right move, and ultimately it would just ruin my entire day.
1: In in the article that, that I read, you know, he they said he'd be in trouble if this was a game of chance because that's gambling. Mm-hmm. But he he made the case, and I guess it is that this is a game of skill. Like as much as you think that there that there's chance involved because you're the one making the decisions it's basically like chess where you just don't get to see that person's move
0: sure but i'm sure that's the same logic that FanDuel operates under which is why they can do what they do which is it's a game of skill and you know what i mean but ultimately it's it's like there is a chance that this receiver i put on my roster could get injured in the first minute of the game or could go the entire game without catching a single
1: ball right but see i i think that's slightly different because i think this has a game that you're you're manipulating like right. it's you it's you and one other person and based on the options available you can kind of and based on what decisions they made previously you can make determination and you know i've been i've been lucky i don't you know, in what I've done, I'm sure once I start playing for higher stakes, that's where the real skill players are. But
0: yeah, it's it sounds interesting. I may check it out on payday.
1: Yeah, I mean it's two two dollar buy in to, to to play it. And you can cash out any time. Sure, so, and you can play for one cent in these like. What go to his um, video and in, in or his website? He has a video where he explains. It. It's okay. it's interesting just to hear him explain this game. Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: Uh, I listened to the new My Morning Jacket album, which came out last week, I think it was. It's called The Waterfall. Have you listened to it?
1: I have not listened to it yet. I heard one song and wasn't interested. Heard the
0: song on Song, on song Exploder? You're not interested just because you don't care about My Morning Jacket that much, or are you...
1: I was the first My Morning Jacket yeah. convert in our group. Right. I love My Morning Jacket, but I have to say everything since the Z pretty much has been hit or miss. Right. And it's just been more miss and miss lately. And I don't like when he goes and experiments electronically. And the song that I heard had some electronic elements that made me think like, does he really go like more electronic in this album? No, more experimental? I don't think
0: that's represented. I don't know what song you heard, but I don't think that's representative of the album, but I, yeah, I, their last two albums have been pretty their last album was all right. But I mean, that's pretty much all it was is all right. And the album before that evil urges was like, was, was the definition of hit or miss. Like the songs that were good on there were good. And the songs that were bad were like unbelievably (laughs) bad. Like how does this even get created bad? Which I think was probably more on that album than it was good songs. But there's still some good songs on the album. And I've never even i never even listened to their first album. I remember in college, they had their big breakthrough Conan performance, right? One big holiday. Where it's like, yeah, they're barefoot. I and watch that
1: all the time, yeah.
0: They've got long hair. And I just wasn't that impressed with it, I guess. But Z is like one of my favorite albums of all time. And the problem with that is like, my Morning Jacket is never going to make another, another Z. Z. They're never going to make another album that's like my favorite album of all time. So it's like, should I just stop listening to them? You know what I mean? It's like, is it possible? F- it's it's going to be impossible for them to make a album that's good. I feel like it's going, to, it's going to be impossible for them to make an album that's good. And for me to be like, yeah, this is good. And listen to it a couple times. Because every time I'm going to be like, well,
1: it's, it's Z. not
0: as good as Z. You know what I mean? But this album, it's like I, I would say it's more consistent than their last couple, mm-hmm. but it's pretty consistently boring. Maybe mm. it's it's pretty it's pretty all right, mediocre. Yeah, but I mean, if you know, I, I I would give it a listen. I've listened to it a couple times. I keep wanting it to be better, basically. So I've listened to it a couple times. Uh, I also listened to the new Server Blood today, which I just found out today was they had a new album. Um, And what's interesting about surfer blood is the whole domestic abuse thing. Right. And they had that first album, which was awesome. Yeah. The second album, which I know I have listened to once, but I've completely forgotten at this
1: point. So so I I don't remember liking it at all. And
0: then this new album is, is basically it's okay. Same thing. It's basically the same thing as my morning jacket. Like it's an okay album. But because of that domestic abuse thing, and I was reading more about it today, and it's like a series of interviews where, so the the charges were dropped, right? And he was never actually charged with anything. And the police uh, report of what happened that night is kind of weird, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then the way he talks about it is very strange. So he talks about it in a way that he's constantly saying, like, I was in a very bad place in my life. It was a very toxic relationship. It was a very bad living situation. But he's never saying, I didn't do this I didn't thing. do it, yeah. He's just saying all these sort of qualifiers. Um, and as I'm reading this interview where he's saying all these things, I'm a song from the album starts playing where they're like, I don't know if it's a chorus because I was kind of half paying attention to that and half reading the article, but he just starts singing over and over again. I can't explain. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, I know what this is about. (laughs) You know what I mean? But it's like now I feel like, and I feel like it's even gone back and ruined the first album for me. Mm. Have you been able to listen to the first album since that news broke?
1: Now that you brought surfer blood back to Martin, I was like, Ooh, I need to listen to that first album. Then I immediately, I was like, I need to listen to Beach Fossils. And I feel like if I would rather, because of, and maybe because of that, I'd rather listen to Beach Fossils than the first Surfer Blood album. Mm -hmm. Even though I think the first album's great. But yeah, I feel like it's like too complicated now. Yeah, exactly. To listen to the first album. Exactly.
0: I don't think I'll be able to listen to it and not think like, this guy might have beaten up his girlfriend. You
1: know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I guess. I guess at the same time, it's it's hard because you know it, it's you don't want to be naive and say unless someone's charged, sure, I can't hold it against them. At the same time, you want to be like, just own up to it. You know, if you did, but it's like, what's the up. difference between that and watching a Woody Allen movie? Well, ex- exactly, exactly. That, that that that's what I'm thinking, and and for me. I feel like you have to kind of go on the judicial um, principle of innocent until proven guilty. Like, I don't know these people, you know, I don't know the situation. So I can't make a determination on somebody Mm -hmm. based on hearsay or based on an article like written by anybody. Right. It's like until they're they're proven guilty in the court of law or until there's something that comes out that then they hush up. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that, you know, Bill Riley is a creep and a pervert, even though he's never been like convicted of sexual harassment, there's a whole bunch of videos and recordings. You can go out there and listen to him sexually harass people. Um, You know, that's obvious, right? That's Mm -hmm. not, that's being super naive to stick your head in the sand at that point. Right. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, I feel like, yeah, with this, you just gotta be like, um, he wasn't proven guilty. I don't know the situation. I can't make a. I can't make a, a determination. Yeah. And there's no video of him. Like, watch Ray Rice, right? Knock his, you know, fiance out.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and a bit of a downer note. The oh, like this isn't already. <laughs> That's true. But the guitarist, I was reading because I was just reading all this stuff today. The guitarist has cancer. Oh. Yeah, he's got like this weird, like super rare form of cancer in his spine, Oof. and so he's doing like a GoFundMe thing to pay for his medical bills because they have to do all this experimental stuff. Oh. Just like, man, this band cannot catch a break. That's terrible. Um, you listen to a band called Waxahachie. Okay.
1: Um, so I listened to that, and I I'd, I'd been interested in the album for a while, and I listened to it, and I feel like. To me, if you like It reminded me of Death Cab for Cutie But not in terms of production at all Mm -hmm. It was like in terms of feel Mm -hmm. Like I feel like if you like old Death Cab for Cutie They're just lo-fi songs That are, you know Kind of well thought out They're not as clear as Some of Ben Gibbard's lyrics are Where he's like telling a story Mm -hmm. But You know I don't know. I, I feel like it's a nice album. Like it's a perfect in the background, play as you work, you know, mm-hmm. clean the house album.
0: What's the opposite of right up my alley? Uh, <laughs> up your alley would have to be down your gutter. Sure. And that sounds right down my gutter.
1: <laughs> I think it is. I think it absolutely is da- da- down your gutter. Uh, but I think for anybody out there with an open mind. Uh right,
0: so last week I recommended or I emailed you a PT, a, pl- a YouTube playlist of PT videos. Were you able to watch all of them?
1: I watched every single one of them. From beginning to end? Full videos. Yeah, I didn't. You were absolutely right on the rooster teeth. Yeah. the 30 minutes was good. Yeah. Because they don't even complete the game. Right. And you can tell after the 30-minute point, they are legitimately freaked out, and they can't deal with it. Yeah, Like, they end up just like, you know, kind of surprising each other. Right. And making kind of comments to each other and that's it. Right. And then they, they bail. They, after. Yeah.
0: They really tune out of the game after about oh, 20 or 30 minutes. Oh, and they're they, just like, we can't handle this anymore. So we're just going to spin our wheels for a little bit.
1: <laughs> exactly. And, and that's, and that I guess is the thing where I was like, why am I watching them spin the, like, yeah. just cut the video. Like right. you guys are clearly not invested in this. You clearly from moment one, we're just commenting like, why are we doing this? We shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. So then don't do it you know do 30 minutes of gameplay and then don't just stop yeah so what did you think of the demo or the game itself the game is awesome yeah and and i want more games like that i right. want more experiences like that it's i think n- not going to happen it's it's not going to happen and i think <clears throat> the way that this all went down is going to make any ideas of doing this in the future a terrible idea no one's going to fund a playable tr- teaser That looks that good and is that much gameplay. Because what I got addicted to were watching people play through the game, and it's just so many levels, right? So, number one, people have like um, personalities, like Mm -hmm. they, they have things that they're trying to do, right? Not interested. I'm not interested in watching you as a character play through. Right. They have their sticks, they have their sticks, but. Even through that, there are things that come through. One yeah. of them is when I hear people be like, oh, that's the game. That's the, or people who literally, like, they go through the door three times. And they're like, so I guess this is it. You know, you just walk <laughs> through this. And I'm like, I love knowing, like, these people have no idea. And, like, a playable teaser, you do think, like, oh, yeah, this is, like, a five-minute yeah. thing. Five hours later, you know, people are still, like, finally finishing it up yeah. or whatever like that's great and i and that will never happen again no one's going to fund yeah like, that's true a playable teaser i think now it's just going to be like yeah it's going to be three minutes mm-hmm. have fun you know so this i think is kind of like seeing a potential once in a lifetime like free di- and it's a horror game too which mm-hmm. makes it even more interesting like it wasn't just like a random. I'm in a field. I'm trying to figure this out. Everything's mm-hmm. nice. It's like, no, this is a, a psychological and, and to see all that he did to freak people out, which mm-hmm. I love too. And there's so many things. It changes video to video and play to play. are different scares that happen, um, in different sequences. And yeah. I just, I, I found them like fascinating to just watch and watch and watch and watch. I watched way more than what you gave me.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I've done the same thing. But that's that's the I think that's the great thing about Hideo Kojima, who's the one who made the game who and who did the who's done the Metal Gear series is he puts that much effort and that many layers into his game. And it's like with PT, it's like it's it's ultimately from start to finish 30 minutes long but you could spend hours picking apart all the references in there and all the different layers and what this is saying and how this is interacting with this. And so that is what I found really interesting. But I think it's like you said, I think it's interesting you bring that up. It's like, this is a, it's one of those things where it's a once in a lifetime, like this sort of thing will never happen again. And if it does happen, it'll just be a company trying to replicate PT basically.
1: And and, and and it probably won't be the quality, right? you know? yeah. And, and the
0: length. Yeah, eventually there'll be something else where it's like, oh, this has never been done before. But you know what I mean? This right, is, but this is now... And especially done. now that the game's been canceled and oh, Kojima yeah. has left the company, like, it's going to be this weird artifact where it's like 20 years from now, it's like, hey, did, have you heard about this thing for this canceled game? So...
1: One of the articles I read brought up an interesting point where one guy sent out a tweet and he was like, I'm excited for the urban legends that will spring up around PT, like in 20 years, where people will be like, Did you hear about this game? They had to cancel it because people were getting so scared someone <laughs> died. <laughs> that's you know? true.
0: Yeah, that's interesting.
1: And, it, and it'll all be lost to history and you know it will be. Yeah. And it'll be like fascinating or be like, if Konami stops producing video games, PT may go down as like, this was the horror game that was too much. It got them out of the industry. They realized they couldn't release it, right? Yeah. Like, if no one's doing that in 20 years, I'm going to start those. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, that's interesting. That's a good, uh, I never thought of it that way. Um, so what is your recommendation?
1: Uh, my recommendation is a app game or experience or story, I guess, called Pry. Okay. P-R-Y. So, it's an
0: iOS game.
1: Yep. So you can download it on your iPad
0: or iPhone. And who is it by? You're telling me who makes it? Do you remember? Yeah, right?
1: I don't know who makes it. Um It just it just kind of came out of nowhere. Tender Claws. Okay. LLC. Released. it. But basically what I'd heard is it kind of And this is like chapter one of an ongoing story, Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, But it tries to portray like a soldier living with PTSD.
0: Okay, that's right. That's right. I remember you telling me something about it. Okay.
1: And so, yeah, play or or look at Pry. Yeah. And then we can talk about it next week. Okay.
0: I'll check it out. Uh, You've been listening to Everything is Interesting. Uh, You can find links to all the things we talked about in the show notes. Uh, The links to the music we use will be in the show notes. Everything that you would ever want to know about the show will be in the The show show notes. notes. Just go there and look. Uh, You can follow. My name is Justin. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at Blizzard with nine Z's. I'm
1: at things come right, but... uh I'm in the process of changing that. <laughs> Listen to last week's episode if you're at all interested. <laughs> right.
0: Um. Oh, obviously we didn't talk about Ex Machina this this episode, right? So I guess that was a uh, a failed attempt, and maybe not. Yeah, maybe, maybe won't.
1: Well, yeah, I'm. I'm still. I'm going to see maybe that.
0: we will eventually, right?
1: But I don't want to say it and then as we beholden to it but mad max right
0: mad max comes out on friday i've been thinking about that Thinking about when i can see that
1: thursday night midnight with me
0: (laughs) it'll just add to my level of disappointment that movie's terrible (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so that's the show uh we'll see you next week and maybe we'll talk about uh mad max
1: or not yeah